0: Sometimes Christmas morning is just a blur. Uh, At our house, our eight-year-old got us up at 5 a.m., so that probably, you know, helped bring the blurry effect uh, of the day to us, but there was certainly a lot of excitement, a lot of expectation, a lot of wrapping paper flying everywhere. And, of course, there was uh, great presents, because who doesn't love presents? in great times with family, but, but I confess that uh, by the end of the day, I was feeling a little bit empty, like, is this all that there is? Like, did, did I miss something today? And then it hits me, I missed Jesus. The one gift I needed to find life and light and hope and deliverance and peace and joy, the gift of Jesus. I forgot to receive that gift on Christmas morning. I miss Jesus. How about you? We have spent this whole Advent series exploring the reality of the darkness of our lives and the hope we have in Jesus as the one who brings light into that darkness. We have seen how Jesus offers us light and joy and deliverance and hope and peace, but now we have to receive these promises. You see, the truth is, is that I need Jesus for every moment of every day. I need to receive Jesus daily. We can't miss the gift that is right in front of us. I want 2020 to be the year that I don't miss Jesus— how about you Today we're going to look at a story of some people who miss Jesus and see what we can learn from them. We're going to consider three ways that we often miss Jesus and look at the antidote for each one of those, so that we don't miss Jesus as often in 2020. So our story today takes place in Luke chapter 4. Jesus has finished his 40 days of resisting temptation in the wilderness, and he begins his ministry. He goes out and he preaches the good news, and he heals the sick. And then he comes to his hometown of Nazareth, and the town is abuzz because they have heard all these stories of the wondrous things that Jesus is doing. And so they invite Jesus to come and be the guest rabbi at the synagogue on the Sabbath. So Jesus comes, and the scroll keeper hands Jesus the scroll of Isaiah. So here we are, 700 years after Isaiah gives us a vision of what God is going to do. Jesus takes the scroll, and he finds Isaiah 61, verse 1, and Jesus reads this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus stops right there. He hands the scroll back to the attendant, and he sits down. And in those days, the rabbi would stand to read the Scripture and would sit down to preach. I think we should do that here as well, but (laughs) enough about me. But the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were transfixed on Jesus. You could hear a pin drop. And Jesus said, Today the Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was proclaiming that that he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that they had been waiting for for 700 years. Man, you would think like the crowd would just erupt in cheers, wouldn't you? But instead, they kind of mutter to themselves and say, isn't this Joseph's boy, the carpenter's son? And Jesus says, truly I say to you, No prophet has honor in his hometown. I think the first way that we miss Jesus is that sometimes we are so self-centered that we see Jesus the way we want our Jesus to be. Just like these folks in Luke 4, our expectation for, for who the Messiah is, for what he came to do, don't match the reality of who Jesus really is. The people of Nazareth had an agenda for their Messiah, and it certainly did not include him being the carpenter's son. No, their expectation was that that God would send a Messiah that would overthrow their Roman oppressors and that they would reap some materialistic bounty from that overthrow. In fact, maybe they would even become rulers themselves. And it is really a small and self-centered view of Jesus, isn't it? But how often is my view of Jesus that his main job is to make my life easier? Isaiah 61, 2 and 3 gives us a bigger picture of what Jesus said he has come to do. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. When the audience heard the year of the Lord's favor, they they would have understood that Jesus was referring to the year of jubilee that God had commanded in Leviticus 25. God had said in Leviticus 25 that that every 50th year would be proclaimed as a year of release in which all the debts were canceled, in which slaves were set free, and that people who had lost their property due to debt had their property returned to them. And while they understood this, the people in the synagogue had a mindset of how the Messiah would come and do his business that the Messiah would come with military might and with pomp and circumstance. They made the Messiah into the image that they wanted. And I think so often we are in danger of doing that as well. Let us be careful of not making Jesus in our own image so that Jesus is for what we are for and against what we are against. But when Jesus talks about the year of the Lord's favor, he really wants us to see the very character of God, a picture of grace and salvation. And Jesus is saying here that that the year of the Lord's favor in this context means that the Messiah is going to come to rescue, to redeem, and to bring salvation. Because the truth is, without Jesus, we are lost. Isaiah tells us exactly how the Messiah would come and bring this about. Isaiah 53, you ready? Isaiah writes, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, from the moment that Jesus was born in the manger, he was on a mission headed to the cross to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus took our sin upon himself. He took the debt that needed to be paid. He suffered in our place. That we may be set free from the bondage of sin and death, and become sons and daughters of the king. And we see some of the fruit of this redemption in Isaiah 61, verses 2 and 3, right? Crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, a royal robe of praise instead of despair. Isaiah is always trying to paint a metaphoric picture of what God is up to. And we see here the transformation from despair over the darkness of our life To becoming the royal children of the king. To be a Christian literally means to take Christ as our substitute. But we can't do this unless we know that we actually need a substitute, that what we actually deserve is death. But it says the Lord has lain on Jesus the sin of us all. Jesus stands in our place. So on Judgment Day, God doesn't see us, but he sees the perfection of Jesus. And this this good news isn't just for Judgment Day, though, right? Because Jesus also promises us light and joy and hope and deliverance and peace for each day. But we need to receive it each day if we're going to experience it. So I think this leads us to our first antidote. The antidote for self-centeredness is repentance. Repentance is turning back toward Jesus and putting him at the center of my life, seeing myself for who I really am, and seeing Jesus for who he really is. I have a lot of opportunities for repentance in my daily life. I don't have time to share them all with you, Uh, but one area that's always uh, obvious to me is worry. Anyone else here ever ever worry? Oh good, there's four of us, great. The rest of you can confess your sin of lying later on. When I worry, I'm really proclaiming that I don't trust God. Or that I'm I'm proclaiming that I think the world should really revolve around me and that I should always get my way. It's helpful for me to remember uh, the story of, of Peter when he was walking on the water. You remember the story? The disciples had gone out uh, in the boat and the sea started to get rough. And lo and behold, they saw Jesus walking towards them. And Peter, being the brave guy that he is, decided to get out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus. And as long as Peter fixed his eyes on Jesus, he had no problem walking on the water. But the text tells us that, that Peter started to look at the waves and the wind, and he became afraid, and he began to sink. And isn't that what I do in my own life? I take my eyes off of Jesus, and I start to look at my circumstances, and my heart begins to sink. But if I turn towards Jesus and fix my eyes on him, the anchor of my soul, Jesus steadies me in any storm. Let's talk about the second way that we miss Jesus, and that's because of self-reliance. Jesus is not good news for us if we think that we can do it by ourselves, right? Every time I think that I am enough or that I have enough, I miss Jesus because I don't think that I need him. And I see this show up in my life too often, right? Like if I think that I am competent, then I don't go to Jesus and pray and ask for help. If I'm trusting my own ability, I don't remember to go to God and talk to him. How about you? I think we just us to underestimate how much our sin nature is allergic to Jesus. We resist the help that Jesus wants to give us. We think that we don't need him very much, but the truth is is that we are actually slaves to ourselves. We are slaves to the cultural ideal of extreme individualism. Our culture continually tells us that we need to be self-actualized and to have self-esteem and to be self-reliant. And we're just addicted to the notion of self-improvement. Right, aren't most New Year's resolutions about self improvement? And even in Christian bookstores, the bestsellers are usually about how to better yourself. But the Bible never tells us that we should work on self improvement. What does the Bible tell us to do with self? Do you know? It tells us to die to self. I know on on some level we know that self is bad for us, right? Like too much self makes us selfish, the emphasis on the ish part. But I confess that dying to self is really hard, right? Because whenever I try to die to self, the first few steps always feel an awful lot like death. But the Bible continually calls us to put off our own self and to put on Christ, because life is only found in Jesus. Paul Miller says that pieces of ourselves need to be nailed to the cross before we can receive God's grace. Well, let's go back to our story at the synagogue. Jesus decides to go ahead and tell the audience that the good news of the Messiah's arrival is not good news for them. Because he knows that none of them will believe in him because they believe in themselves. They believe in their own righteousness. And the people in the synagogue get so offended when Jesus attacks their pride and self-sufficiency. Luke 4 tells us this. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of town and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. And he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The people were a little upset with Jesus because they were self reliant. And they were so offended that Jesus pointed that out, right? They think they are good enough to stand righteous before God. And and maybe for those who are aware that maybe they're not quite good enough yet, they just think, if I just had a little more self-improvement, pretty soon I'll be acceptable before God. They are trusting in their own efforts. And what really sets them off is that Jesus reminds them that back in the days of the prophets, Elijah and Elijah... There was no one in all of Israel who trusted God. There was no one in all of Israel except the prophets who trusted God. But then he tells them a story about two outsiders, two Gentiles who trusted God. He tells them the story of the widow of Sidon who nearly starved to death and put her trust in God to provide. And he tells the story of Naaman, the Syrian who had leprosy and put his trust in God and was healed. What do these two people have in common besides being Gentiles? They were desperate. They were desperate. Paul Miller says that faith is helplessness plus crying out to God for grace. Faith is helplessness plus crying out to God for grace. And so we see clearly then that the antidote for self-reliance is to rely on Jesus, to stake everything on what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection and abandon our efforts to earn our own righteousness. So how do you receive the year of the Lord's favor this year? Well, it begins by seeing our own need for Jesus. Jesus. Let's look back at our first verse, Isaiah 61, 1. And as you look at that verse, who is Jesus' good news for? The poor, the brokenhearted, those in bondage and darkness? This reminded me of our Sermon on the Mount series a year and a half ago. Matthew 5:3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, Jesus is not good news for us unless we know that we actually need him. Our deepest need is rarely what we think our deepest need is. Our deepest need is always Jesus. And I think it is just so hard for us to really believe that, so often we have to come to the end of ourselves to believe that Jesus is what we really need. The dark things in our life come in all shapes and forms. It might be a broken marriage or worry over your future or a job that is sucking the life out of you or a besetting sin that you can't seem to shake, depression or insecurity. But the good news for us is that Jesus pursues us in our darkness. These places become the gateway for us to receive what Jesus wants to give us. If we are at the end of ourselves, we are ripe for Jesus to do a new thing in us. As Mark Sayers says, Renewal comes when we are sickened by our false gods and broken promises of our impotent idols and ideologies. When we are shattered by our striving, empathetic attempts at saving ourselves, we fall into the arms of Christ to be remade without caveats and compromises. Well, I don't know about you, but I would prefer to receive Christ daily without my life having to fall apart every single day. And I think this is possible by coming into his presence daily, seeing our need for him, and resting in the promises of God. So this leads to the last way that we miss Jesus. I think we often miss Jesus because we are self-medicating. We live in an age where we are so uncomfortable. Well, we're so uncomfortable with anything uncomfortable in our life. And so we tend to medicate away the discomfort. We do this in a lot of ways, but I think one that keeps us from Jesus is our addiction to our smartphones. I say this to you from personal experience. Hi, I'm James. I'm addicted to my smartphone. You're supposed to say, hi, James, back. You guys need to go to more meetings, apparently. So I bring it up as one of you, not just because your wife told me that you're addicted to your smartphone, and she says it's really hard to show you love because your head is always in your phone, and she also said that uh, if, if you lift up your head once in a while, maybe you could love the people who are in your house, right? The, world, the real world is actually better than what is on your phone, Social media doesn't want you to believe that, but it's true. I started paying attention to how social media was making me feel a couple of years ago, and and I noticed, like, Twitter was making me really angry, and Instagram was causing me to covet. Your own experiences with social media may vary. But even more, I just came to realize how often I was just scrolling mindlessly, trying to medicate the stresses of the world. A year ago, I took Facebook off my phone, and it was pretty amazing. I read a study last week that said that people who took social media off their phone were 40% happier in five days. Anyone here want to be 40% happier? I've got a plan for you. Well, I confess I'm still addicted to my phone and I'm still finding new ways to free myself. For example, I I, I had been using my phone to read my Bible every day, but I just realized what a barrier it was to being fully present with Jesus. So I started leaving my phone by the coffee maker I went to the other side of the room with my paper Bible and my cup of coffee and Jesus. And I'm just so much better suited to being to seeing my need for Jesus, talking to him about my life without my phone coming between us. The antidote for self-medicating is resting in Jesus. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Resting in Jesus, then, doesn't mean that we ignore the problems in our life. It just means that we come to him with our problems and connect with him, knowing that Jesus loves us better than anyone else can. My, uh, my four-year-old Jack is going through a phase where about 20 times an hour he says, Hey, Mama. And the Hey, Mama is always followed with an uh, update on his life. <laughs> like, Hey, Mama, I just ate a bite of my sandwich. Uh, and, of course, Mom was always there. She was already there for the thing that happened. She didn't need an update from him. But it's almost like it's not real for Jack until she tells mom about it. And while we're a little bit tired of Jack saying, hey, mama, all the time, I think this is how Jesus wants to act with him, that we would come to him throughout the day and say, hey, Jesus, and talk to him about what is going on in our life because Jesus wants us to know that we are with, that he is with us, that he loves us, and that he is for us. Well, if you insist on having a New Year's resolution this year, I have just one idea for you. Let it be more Jesus, less me. For the goal of life is not self-actualization or self-improvement, but finding life in Jesus. To paraphrase John the Baptist, we must decrease so that Jesus can increase in our life. So let us repent from self-centeredness, Let us learn to rely on Jesus, and let us stop self-medicating and rest in him. Let us not miss Jesus this year, for he has come that we might have life and life abundant. Let us pray together. Jesus, we, we come before you, and we confess that we have often missed you even when you are right there in front of us. We pray by the power of your Spirit that you would make us more aware of the reality of this, that we would repent and turn to you and to receive the life, the life abundant that you would have for us. We give thanks for your faithfulness to us. In thy name we pray, amen.